anymore. It's all in the store then. We're going to sue Again, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to tonight's live broadcast of the Middle Chamber. I am your hyperdimensional host for the evening, Freighter X. Show number 34 tonight, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. And I've got free your mind conference fever. I got to tell you, we got one week for me. Uh, a week tomorrow, a week from tomorrow, I'll be going to Philadelphia to get ready for the free your mind conference. So I'm really excited. Uh, tonight we welcome Randall Carlson from Sacred, Sacred Geometry International dot com, among other places. And Randall Carlson is a master builder and architectural designer, teacher, geometrician, geomythologist, geological explorer, and renegade scholar. Uh, he has four decades of research and exploration of the interface between ancient mysteries and modern science, and has been an active Freemason for 30 years. He's also a past master of one of the oldest and largest Masonic lodges in Georgia, and he's uh, been recognized by the National Teachers Association for his commitment to science education for young people. And for over 25 years... Uh, oh, Sorry. For over 25 years, he has presented classes, lectures, and multimedia programs, synthesizing this uh, information for students of the mysteries. Now, Randall is uniquely qualified to interpret the hidden meaning in the great masterpieces of mystical architecture, as well as esoteric and occult ritual and symbolism, which is, of course, right up our alley. Now, he is an, uh, asp uh, it is his aspiration to affect a revival of lost knowledge towards the goal of creating a new world based upon universal principles of harmony, freedom, and spiritual evolution. I, I, I got to tell you, just from reading that introduction right there, I feel as if Randall is a kindred spirit. Um, I've heard his interviews on several radio shows, as well as you can find him on YouTube at Sacred Geometry International, and I have also uh, linked couple of his video presentations to my various media outlets, which I'll mention a little bit later on. Now, just before I bring him on, I wanted to just kind of throw this out there. <clears throat> He's waiting, muted, for me to introduce him. Now, there is a, a Kabbalistic belief that the absolute condensed singularity of the universe, the ignition point before the Big Bang, if you will, is a black cube, or was a black cube. This is in one belief. Now, with the manifestation of material reality, this cube pops and unfolds into a cross, three squares by four, and the totality of all forms follows. 
three by four. In esoteric symbolism, four represents matter, as in the four corners of the earth. And three, spirit, which is represented by a circle going on and on without end. Infinity, you know, eternal. By squaring the circle, quote-unquote, in occult parlance, we balance matter and spirit. Of course, Freemasonry, among many fraternal esoteric orders, is rife with this, with this spe- uh, specific symbolism. But all fraternal esoteric orders that I've researched share a few basic things in common, depending on the level of, of uh, well, well, occult or esoteric knowledge encoded there, and I guess that's how I would say it. But basically, orientation, position, posture, movement, you know, this is key, a key for our focus and awareness. The three dimensions, longitude, latitude, altitude. You know, uh, these are key in the full cultivation of awareness and in progression and retrogression advancement, forward and backwards, forward and backwards. Again, we find this integral and woven into the esoteric fraternal orders. These signs of recognition and qualifications also all lend to the symbolic, emblematic, and allegorical method of education and preparation. Now, our guest this evening has a few things to say about this, I'm sure, (laughs) and I'm I'm sure uh, with many other fascinating concepts to share as well. So let's welcome Randall Carlson to the Middle Chamber this evening. Greetings, Randall. Greetings, Father X. Great. Thank you for joining us this evening. Well, thank you for having me. Excellent. Now, I understand that you won't be able to attend the conference in Philly this month, which is very regrettable. Is that correct? Regrettably so. That is correct, yes. Okay. Well, I was really looking forward to sharing that in that event with you. But I wanted, I thought that this, this was a great opportunity. I wanted to give you, in the beginning of our conversation, a chance, if you'd like, to share with my listening audience some of what you had intended on presenting in Philadelphia. <clears throat> well, I was going to probably do my standard introductory routine. I only had 50 minutes. Um, there's not much I can do in 50 minutes based on the a mass of material that I've <laughs> You just basically together. unpacked the box, right? <laughs> yeah, that's about it. But, uh, yeah, I get my computer, my laptop booted up and so forth. But um, I would generally try to introduce people to the idea that there is, there's, shall we say, a hidden dimension of reality. Um, that with the right training and mindset, one can learn to perceive. Um, and it, and it's, uh, it covers sort of the gamut of, of uh, the things that we encounter in our day-to-day life. Uh, one of the um, phrases that I like to use in my introductory talks is that the ancient knowledge is everywhere about us in everyday use and perfect. And most of us go through life without realizing that in the landscape around us and in the, uh, the conventions of our modern society are concealed this whole dimension of, of profound knowledge. So I like to try to bring people to this awareness that if they cultivate this, this attitude of perception that they will begin to, to become aware of this, this dimension of information that's encoded into the world around us. Um, and so to that end, I utilize sacred geometry and I use, utilize symbolism I utilize, um, you know, uh, um, studies of the natural world, how the natural world appears to us 
on one level. Um, you know, I try to teach people how to uh, read the stars, how to read the rocks, the stars over our head, the rocks under our feet. Because um, I, for my take on it, this is a very hermetic attitude, if you will. Um, actually made very literal in the sense that what is below us reflects what is above us and vice versa. So I, in my uh, research, I've come to the conclusion that many ancient societies and ancient cultures had this awareness of this relationship between heaven and earth and tried to create a human world that somehow would act as an intermediary between these two domains. So by whatever means possible, I try to bring people to this awareness that, yes, there's more to this world and to this life than meets the eye, more than we've been taught in uh, our public education system. Well, let me ask you, Randall, when you're, how do you, when you're talking to someone who doesn't have this knowledge, without this knowledge that you are conveying and speaking to, how do you impress upon others its importance and why, we, why would they want to know these things? Why should they take the time to understand what you're presenting? Well, that's, that's a good question. And quite frequently, you know, obviously when I do a presentation, the folks that show up there are people who've already been, begun to question, ask these questions. In my day-to-day -day routine, you know, I have a, my own business. So, you know, I quite frequently I'm dealing with the public at large. And, um, you know, I would say that there's many of my clients and customers who don't even have a clue that I've got this whole other thing going on. So what I usually I certainly do is, can relate to that. <laughs> yeah. So I usually kind of wait for clues and signs that, you know, somebody has got an interest. I'll walk into somebody's house to, you know, meet with them for, uh, you know, discussing a project, and I'll notice the books they have on their shelves. Um, you know, when I get to know somebody, I find out, you know, that they've got an interest. Or, you know, they find out, oh, you, I just understand you were out west at Chaco Canyon. You know, um, yes, I was. Um, so if they make the overture and inquire about it, uh, you know, then I will begin to elaborate somewhat on, on, well, this is what I was doing. I wasn't just sightseeing. I was actually, you know, out there measuring Casa Rinconada in order to see, you know, I was actually out there uh, shooting sighting lines to try to determine what astronomical correlations were built into the site or so on. And if, if you know, if, if the individual shows a further interest, I will open up and elaborate to whatever extent. Um, and quite frequently, you know, I will broach things to people. I'll just, I'll drop things just to see if they respond. And if there's no response, you know, I, I won't press the issue. But like I say, when I do a, a presentation publicly, uh, typically, the folks that show up are already folks that have begun to ask questions and are seeking more information or insight into. And they've already begun to suspect that there's more to all this than, than meets the eye. Right, and then, you know that that I I too can. Uh, it's it sort of lets you off the hook as far as having to impress upon folks at that point the importance because they already sense they already intuit the importance of what is there, they're drawn to it. I guess I was kind of wondering and looking for suggestions from you as far as people who don't understand the importance of it and, and, and would be, you know, well, maybe even skeptical, you know, yeah. and oh. how, you would, uh, how, you, how would you approach that situation? Well, I, you know, I have a, a pretty big arsenal of facts and science that I draw upon, you know. Sure. So I, you know, I have no problem. In fact, I kind of enjoy somebody being skeptical because usually what will happen is they'll 
yeah, they may have been exposed to somebody who's, you know, there's a lot of hype out there in the, in the new age circles and so forth, things that if you try to actually uh, grab it, there's nothing to it really. Um, you know, I try to take a real scientific approach. So if somebody asks me about a particular question or, or expresses a, a skeptical attitude, you know, I can essentially open up the encyclopedia and go, hey, you know, <laughs> this sure. is the deal, you know. There it uh, is right here. <laughs> there it is right here, you know. I'm, well, you know, you know I, I found actually an interesting, uh, when I, I was, ref I was uh, reviewing some of your research or your material that you present, the cosmic patterns and cycles of catastrophe that you, that you uh, present in the DVDs. And, uh, you know, I found uh, a, a, an interesting correlation that I, I think is exciting and, and, and inspiring. And I'd like to get into that as we sort of look at the material. And as you've already kind of broached the subject with the idea of the sacred component in the everyday, and that's something you talked about was the universal language of antiquity that surrounds us. And yes. I wonder if you would speak to the, the loss of this knowledge in the everyday. What do you think happened? What, why do you think it is that the average, you know, humanity at large seems to be out of touch with what we discuss in this, in this uh, resource that you're presenting? That's a, yeah, that's a pretty involved question, and I think there's <laughs> probably multiple reasons for that. Um, certainly we can see an ebb and flow of this, this kind of knowledge. Um, you know, if you go back to the, the Gothic era, you know, you've got a situation there where, you know, if you look at what Western Europe was involved in from about 1150 to, you know, the early 1300s AD, you had a society, a whole society that was pretty much focused around this, this great work of building these tremendous cathedrals and abbeys, um, creating this three-dimensional textbook in stone, if you will, of, of hermetic knowledge. And I'm not necessarily implying that, you know, the average individual understood that, but on some level they were certainly in tune enough with it that they were willing to put their shoulder to the wheel and devote themselves to, you know, bringing about this, this, this tremendous operation. And um, at the same time, we can see that, you know, there's been a rise of authoritarianism. I certainly think that has something to do with it. Um, you know, the, you know, if we look at authoritarian Christianity arising in the third or fourth century A.D. and essentially doing its darndest to um, suppress all heretical points of view. And what's interesting is that if you look at the the heresies that were suppressed, were essentially um, systems that recognized the value of the individual. Uh, the individual's relationship, direct relationship with God, and then it got replaced with this whole hierarchical structure of, um, you know, bishops and priests and deacons interceding between the individual and some kind of, uh, you know, a spiritual awareness, and that the only way to come to God was through this particular hierarchy. And, um, you know, maybe for a lot of people it's just easier to go with the authority. I think there's a tendency for many people to essentially not want to grow up psychologically or spiritually and continue to remain dependent upon a quote-unquote authority figure for all the answers because it relieves them of the responsibility of having to go through the difficult process of, of thinking through things for themselves. Um, and I certainly think that was part of it. Um, you know, the rise of scientific rationalism, I think, played its role in giving people to focus more on 
the physical component of reality, um, which I, I feel like an important and indispensable phase in our evolution as a, as a species and as, as a society. Um, and it's interesting that it does seem that when the, the, the cycle runs through, um, it reaches a nadir, and at which point where it almost disappears, and then it begins a revival. We've certainly, I think, seen that as we approach the, the 20th century. We see, um, you know, operative masonry pretty much going into a complete eclipse after this slow, long, waning period, uh, you know, from, from the 1400s on. And then, um, you know, what happens as the 20th century gets underway, we begin to see this revival of this interest in learning. Uh, you know, we see researchers and authors coming from many different points of view, but essentially bringing information back uh, into popular consciousness about many of these traditions that have virtually but not quite disappeared. It uh, seems as if in the wake of uh, the decline of imperial intrusion on the progress of society, there's an upsurge in interest in, like, individuated uh, spiritual progress. Yes. It really seems like that happens. I think you're, you're right on target when you're talking about the Renaissance and or the Reformation as well. Yeah. Because you moved, I th I've, I've often viewed Freemasonry especially, but a lot of the esoteric or hermetic orders at that time as actually a form of Protestant mysticism. And we'll continue this when we come back from our first break with Randall Carlson from SacredGeometryInternational.com. We'll be right back, everybody, in the Middle Chamber on American Freedom Radio. Stay tuned. Now you and your family and friends can enjoy the cleanest, most delicious, and healthy drinking water anytime, even while traveling, camping, at sporting events, or in emergency situations. The Berkeleyite removes bacteria, cysts, parasites, and harmful chemicals to below detectable levels. It also reduces nitrates and unhealthy minerals like lead and mercury, while leaving in the beneficial and nutritional minerals your body needs. Berkeleyite is so powerful, it can even purify raw, untreated water from remote lakes and streams. And the optional PF2 filters even remove fluoride. The Berkeleyite LED, with its rechargeable lighting system, can be used as a nightlight or a camp light. To view or purchase your Berkey water system and replacement filters, please visit American Freedom Radio's website at AmericanFreedomRadio.com and click the Berkey banner. Once again, that's AmericanFreedomRadio.com, and click the Berkey Water Banner. Not yet available in Iowa. Do you realize every day we are being put under constant stress from wireless radiation? What's worse is that you don't even know that it's happening. It puts as much stress on our body as if we had a constant viral infection, draining our energy and sapping our strength, or just making us irritable and fatigued. These wireless fields are being emitted from computers, microwaves, mobile phones, power lines, and any electrical appliance. Now there is a solution. A group of research engineers in New Zealand have come up with an active shielding device that shields you from wireless radiation at a cellular level. Blue Shield comes in three models, a household, portable and USB that plugs into any computer. The great thing about Blue Shield is it is very affordable and guaranteed to last. A one-off purchase will see you being protected for years to come. Visit AmericanFreedomRadio.com and click on the Blue Shield banner. Blue Shield, brought to you by the Vinnie Eastwood Show.com. 
Nicotine, alcohol, good drugs. Coincidentally, tax drugs. Ooh, how does this work? Thank God they're taxing alcohol, man. It means we got those good roads we can drive on. Because I'll tell you something, I'll be honest, man. If, if I were going to legalize a drug, it sure wouldn't have been alcohol. Sorry, there's better drugs and better drugs for you. That's a fact. Pot is a better drug than alcohol. Fact. Fact. Stop your internal dialogue. But Bill, alcohol's a Shut up! You're wrong. Get over it. I'll prove it to you, man. You're at a ball game or a concert and someone's really violent and aggressive and obnoxious. Are they drunk or are they smoking pot? They're drunk. I have never seen people on pot get in a fight because it is impossible. Hey, buddy. Hey, what? Ready for our first caller. Welcome, Debbie. Well, can you tell us a little bit about what the RNA drops are doing for you and what your experience is on them? Oh, gosh, I've had so many experiences. The first effect I felt was I would take the drops before going off to the golf course to play in league or just to play, and I noticed my game uh, was more precise, and my focus was there, and my eyes stayed right in the ball, and I hit the ball farther. My, my muscles seemed to work. My energy levels seemed to be up, and I'll tell you, I, I took a couple of strokes off my game. I think that's incredible. It's pretty exciting. What are the other things that you have noticed on that? <laughs> well, <laughs> in my love life, <laughs> uh, I noticed that the focus and the energy level and the the energy exchange that I have with my man has been amazing. I can actually feel the energy uh, exchange from his body to my body. That's great. Just beautiful, absolutely beautiful. And again, you can get those drops at trinasgooddrops.com. That's right, trinasgooddrops.com. Welcome to the world's meeting place. American. Practically narcotic. Freedom. Oh, yes. I like very much. Radio. You're an American institution. American Freedom Radio. Revolutionary discovery changes your DNA and restores perfect cells. Listen to Transcension every Saturday at 2 p.m. Central on AmericanFreedomRadio.com. chamber i'm freighter x and i'm talking with randall carlson and you can check out his website sacredgeometryinternational.com and we are just starting to unpack the material that randall carlson has distilled and pre prepared over his you know the course of his research to present to everyone and uh we, he mentioned before we went to break that this knowledge seems to ebb and flow in punctuated progress throughout human history. 
And, uh, you know, we talked about my point, what I made right when we went to break was, it seemed that during the Renaissance and, and the Reformation preceding and, and, and after, proceeding it, the time before and after, right. we had what would be a, uh, could be considered a pursuit of mysticism that would be in hand with the idea of individuated spiritual progress. You know, it was a move away from the Papist approach with all the hierarchy of the priests and the bishops and the, everybody that stands between you and God. <laughs> and now it was more of a one-on-one. -on -one, and mysticism, as we know, really, literally defined means union with the divine. And so what, what you know... What I've discovered, and maybe Randall agrees, we'll find out here, is that the systems such as Freemasonry, other hermetic, occulted, esoteric orders, are methods, systems, tools, techniques, instruments, in which to bring the individual into harmony with the divine. And so, what do you think about that, Randall Carlson? Oh, I don't think I could have put it much better myself. How about that? <laughs> Great. I, I think you'll find me in, in full agreement on that matter. Um, yes, indeed. So, I, so I, I haven't found anything you've said yet to disagree with, so that's a good sign. Well, then it's going to be a, not, a, not a debate, <laughs> more of a dialectic. In the, uh, <laughs> the Smith, let's think in the Socratic sense. We'll, we'll try to define what we don't know. <laughs> yes, okay. But, uh, you know, speaking of orientation and... Equilibrium. I, you know, I, I wanted to ask you before we got too deep into the material, which I'm really excited to look at your presentation work here as we're talking about it. But, you know, uh, the, the last time I was on, I had John Michael Greer, who's an author uh, and researcher, and he's written a book about peak oil and the myth of progress. And we talked about the mystery of balance and the way of equilibrium. And from my thoughts on that are based, I consider the way of balance or equilibrium as a base or edifice that then secret traditions such as those found within Freemasonry can be unfolded from or built upon, leads one to, should I say, a divine or holy science of the soul beyond base equilibrium. And so I found, in looking at the material that you presented in that DVD that I watched, when you talked about the, the, the way that the components of the universe and the material reality that we have all around us fit in within, within each other, the nesting relationship, you know, for example, with the polyhedrons, uh, the solids and the, and the shapes of, of, of Plato, that it ties in with this understanding I've developed of the occult sciences and the idea that it's a, a process of distillation and of uh, reduction and uh, it leads to a refinement of a refinement of elements that are then combined and applied with will and, and usually uh, hopefully leading to understanding knowledge and growth and so I just wanted to say I commend you on, on, on the material that you presented in that when you talked about the, the structure you also focused a lot on numbers and I'd like to shift towards that if we can by just talking about simply one number and that is the number nine mm -hmm. and I it's important I've encountered that number <laughs> now let's speak about the importance of the number nine to all this Randall 
Oh, my gosh. Um, well, you may have noticed that many of these numbers that have come out of what I call the, the sacred canon of numerical cosmology, you know, it, they Kabbalistically reduce to the single digit nine. And I'm always being asked about that, and I've never really come up with the adequate explanation other than it just seems to be inherent in the, in the, in the way our number system is devised. Um, you know, we have a denary system of numbers, and you start with zero, you proceed through nine, and you've completed the, you know, you've, you've completed the whole cycle with that, and then you begin a new cycle on a, on a higher level. So, you know, one of the traditional attributions of that number is it's a number of completion. Um, so I, I kind of look at it in that context that, that, you know, the fact that so many of these numbers, um, you know, that I deal with, you know, symbolic numbers, the numbers that show up in, in, these, in these numerical cosmologies are numbers that reduce to nine. And the, and the numbers that we basically measure time and space with on a, on a um, uh, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis, you know, ultimately have their origin in these ancient systems. Um, so, you know, we, we use feet and inches and miles here in, the, in, uh, in America. Um, of course, you know, it's being replaced by the, uh, um, the metric system, which in a sense is too bad because it takes us a step further away from this, um, this numerical cosmology that I think is built into the world and that was recognized by the ancient, uh, you know, the ancient mystics and, and uh, occultists and so on. And so when they devised systems of measuring time and space, the numbers and proportions that were chosen were numbers that ref reflected this hidden order of things. Um, you know, so when you begin to look at just uh, the numbers of our, of our everyday, uh, of our everyday world, you come up with numbers that, you know, for example, um, you know, you have uh, a square yard, which is um, 36 by 36 inches, right? So 36, of course, obviously, 3 plus 6 is 9. And then when you take the total number of square inches, it's 1,296. And 1,296 is also reducible to 9. But what's interesting about that number, 1,296, is that if you go around the world over to the ancient Vedic tradition, you discovered that they were talking about these grand cycles of time, the dugas and kalpas. Well, if you if you go into their um, the writings that were, with uh, the Rig Veda and others, where these numbers are expressed, you'll discover that within their system they have the yugas, which is the the kali yuga, the dawapari yuga, the treta yuga, the satya yuga, the maha yuga, etc. The the uh, treta yuga is one million two hundred ninety six thousand years. Right, so it's it's the same number raised by three orders of magnitude. It's the same number that we find measures a cubic, I mean a square yard, right? But raise that by three orders of magnitude, and now you discover you've got the number that measures one of these grand astronomical cycles that appear in the Vedas. Um, you also see that in the processional cycle of the uh, Earth's axis, which is usually measured and given in most astronomy textbooks as about 50 arc seconds per year, you could, if you sit down with your calculator, you find out that you know, 50 arc seconds per year, it takes 25,920 years to make a full cycle, or uh, 12,960 to make a half cycle. And then you go back to the like some of the Persian traditions um, from uh, 
that actually preceded the formation of Mithraism and Zoroastrianism, you discover that they had a tradition about the world being cyclically renewed every roughly 12,000 or 12,900 years. Um, and then we look at the geological record and we discover that 12,900 years ago, um, geologists and climatologists have recognized a major point of discontinuity in the processes of global change. It's called the Baling Alarad Younger Dryas Transition. They've actually given it a name because something very profound happened there. And so you look at this, these, the, and, and I'm just just scratching the surface here, but you can oh, take one perfectly, number. Excuse me, Randall. Let me just, uh, stop you for just a moment. You're perfectly proving the point. You're illustrating exactly what I wanted you to when I brought up the number nine because prior to this we were talking about the way in which it's like almost a, what, remember those old Russian dolls the way they fit inside each other it's that way with the when, once we whether we expand or contract our I, awareness of the numerical reality of the universe we find these numbers reoccurring in sequence and it's yeah. like a fractal reality almost occurring within the numer, numerical sequence wouldn't you agree? Yeah the phrase I use is scale invariant because scale invariant, okay. Regardless of the scale, we, get, we, we find these proportionality constants. And, and it occurs not only in scales of phenomena, for example, in the measuring of space, but also in the measuring of time. Because obviously here, these, these num the examples that I was pulling up to illustrate my point, I was drawing up an example of, of a spatial measurement, you know, a, a square yard. I was also bringing up uh, a, a, a time measurement, a temporal measurement. Uh, and, and on vastly different scales as well. So I think that was one of the things that, you know, it seems to be intrinsic to the, the nature of reality itself. And at some point, you know, throughout history, these various individuals or groups, mystics, whatever you want to call them, were aware of the fact that there was this, this, invi this invisible structure or architecture of, of creation represented, manifested through both time and space and then chose to try to extrapolate from those relationships, those, those proportions, in creating the human world so that that, if you will, that divine order, that divine architecture was reflected into the patterns of our day-to-day -day life. And, and that might be part of the reason why, um, you know, there's nobody today in a position of authority, in my opinion, who really understands that and, and wishes to inculcate that. You know, if we go back to ancient Greece, I think we had the Platonic Academy and we had Pythagorean lodges and, you know, the Neoplatonists and Neopythagoreans who, who specifically intended or attempted to inculcate awareness of these things into, you know, into the students who, who, who are under their care. Um, or under their tutelage. I, I don't find that today. I don't find that anywhere in our modern educational system. In fact, I think it's more like John Taylor Gatto says, our modern educational system exists primarily to dumb people down. And it's been sort of a, 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 an ongoing process in, of people giving up their own autonomy, their own ability and willingness to think on their own and accept something that's handed to them, pre-digested on a plate. Here's reality. This is the reality except you don't have to question on your own because some authority has got it all worked out for you. Therefore, be a good little citizen, pay your taxes, and don't ask too many questions. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yep, go back to sleep. Uh, American Gladiator will be on soon, and drink some light beer. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> no, but you know, you've you've made a, an excellent point once again. I think when we look at you, you mentioned how the, the the reality is governed by certain you know the numerical constants in meta in, in material reality, but we also find when we look at it from the more uh, esoteric side and metaphysical reality, as above, so below, we find the same factors, which are that, you know, uh, har harmony with both aspects require balance and symmetry. And we f I think that it's clear when we look at the great architectural works like the cathedrals and pre-cathedral building, we find that encoded in the structure is that, is that ideal that symmetry and balance are key for uh, the proper application of the structure or the effect of it, I think, on the whole, on, on, on the, the, maybe even simply the perceptual experience of the, the person viewing the structure, but also even deeper on maybe a, a geodesic level. And maybe we could explore that a little, too, as we're talking. But I wanted to point out, you mentioned the idea of, John Taylor Gatto's work and dumbing us down and of course I'm very familiar with all that and I think it's very remarkable when we think about it because <clears throat> empires keep their own time don't they? And calendrical measurement of time is very important for controlling reality I think and it seems clear to me that one of the first things that happens when an empire takes over is it institutes its own version of time measurement in calendrical ways you know the Julian Gregorian calendars and mm -hmm. even the calendars, calendars of ancient world and it seems that the idea there is the displacement of the general population through their orientation taking them offline if you will unbalancing them from the equilibrium creating maybe a discordant or dystopian rhythm that is then easier manipulated because people are in an anxious state when they're in a discordant state and therefore more susceptible to suggestion and to uh, basic control and, and I, I think that it seems to me that along the way, with these punctuated interruptions in progress that we spoke of, the ebb and flow of availability of knowledge of these greater ideals encoded in the reality of uh, all around us, it it's, it's goes hand in hand with imperial intrusion, you know, upon social order. Wouldn't you agree, Randall? Uh, I would say yes. I would definitely agree with that. I, I think, you know, by manipulating our reality as much as possible, it brings us into compliance with the hierarchy okay. of authority. All right, that's a great place to leave it. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Randall Carlson, sacredgeometryinternational.com, everybody here at American Freedom Radio. Stay tuned. Let's see if we got a caller calling in. Thank you, Glenda, for coming on the show today. Can you tell us a little bit about what the RNA drops have done for you? Well, yes, I have uh, fibromyalgia and arthritis in my hands, and I used to have to take uh, steroid drops for this, but I got on the RNA drop, and I am a lot better. I, I don't hurt as bad, and I have a tremendous amount of en energy. Oh, that is good to hear. And how long did you have to take the drops before you started noticing them? Um, not very long. And you noticed the increase in energy? Did it take you a little while? 
in order to have the um, pain diminish? Probably a couple of weeks, but it's such a gradual thing that you can't really pinpoint. It's just all of a sudden you notice that, wow, this is great. That is wonderful. And I just want to tell everybody, you can go to trinasgooddrops.com and claim your free mini bottle. You just pay a little bit for shipping and handling. It's a great value. There's other products on there also, like the Realign and uh, Renew and uh, bigger bottles of RNA drops. You go to trinasgooddrops.com. My name is John Stewart, president of Biophysica, Inc., and a biomedical engineer. We make the world's most advanced colloidal generators for domestic and industrial quantities of mineralized waters. Many bottling plants worldwide use our generators to make colloidal silver, the world's most life-saving antimicrobial supplement, as well as colloidal zinc, gold, magnesium, copper, iron, etc., Biophysica Advanced Generators produce the smallest nanomolecules to ensure potency against the smallest, most vicious viruses. A Biophysica Colloidal Generator will give your family the best quality colloidal silver for many years, quickly, cheaply, and easily. Contact us at biophysica.com or call us at 416-636-5804. You're listening to AmericanFreedomRadio.com, the network who perseveres in delivering intelligent debate, constructive dialogue with true independence. The freedom to broadcast the truth is not free at all. So what is American Freedom Radio worth to you? The empowering information with fun, honest and pure integrity behind it provides an example to follow. Friendships to flourish with the moral altruism that pulls no punches. The hosts sacrifice and show remarkable discipline in their duty to deliver quality radio and service to the community with strength, wisdom, and loyalty. The founders of AFI wish to thank you personally for sharing your views and insights to make the best radio and alternative media. Now it's time for you to give something back and play a vital role in the future of America. Be as generous with us as we've been with you. Click on the donate banner at AmericanFreedomRadio.com or volunteer by emailing AmericanFreedomRadio at Ymail.com. Vaccine, psychotropic drugs, and artillery batteries not included. Has your heart been pounding? Feel short of breath? Got high blood pressure or problems sleeping? Heart disease is the leading cause of death. Being surrounded by fast food, toxic air and poisoned water has a cumulative effect as we enter later life. Medications that only address symptoms ensure these problems persist while your family and finances suffer. It's time to work with the body and its own innate ability to heal itself. Heart and Body Extract is a natural organic herbal supplement that restores balance. A heart attack could be just around the corner. Spare your loved ones pain and fear. Protect yourself. Protect your health with Heart and Body Extract. With a lifetime money-back guarantee, you have no excuse. Order a two-month supply today. Call toll-free 866-295-5305. That's 866-295-5305. Or order online at hbextract.com. Online. All the time. Your gateway to the world. A.F. American Freedom Radio. Give it to them. Your life as it has been is over. Don't miss the middle chamber with Freighter X on AFR. Listen to the Paradigm Ship Saturday night, 6 p.m. Central.
everyone. Welcome back to the Middle Chamber. I am Freder X. I'm talking with Randall Carlson, and we're just discussing his research, which centers around two main themes, I think you could safely say, cosmic patterns and cycles of catastrophe. And I guess I'd start off this segment by saying that I came to the conclusion after my research into what could be called catastrophism. I think the first person that used that term that I was aware of was an author named Vine Deloria, who was a professor. Uh, he died a couple years ago, I believe, but he wrote several books. He came from uh, the Oglala Sioux Nation, and so he had a very unique Native American perspective about catastrophism. He wrote one of his most important books that I constantly speak of is called Evolution, Creationism, and Other Modern Myths. But he also wrote a book called Custer Died for Your Sins, and another one called God is Red. But he basically looked at the, you know, the indigenous uh, traditions and accounts, especially oral histories, as accurate human eyewitness accounts of catastrophes going back hundreds of thousands of years. And um, I realized that the working tools of builders that we find significant throughout fraternal orders, uh, emulating it from ancient orders that go back time immemorial, seem to be significant for one reason, because the need for reconstruction after cataclysm <laughs> maybe from the very mud of the flood they began to you know proceed to rebuild so it's uh it's interesting that uh the concept of catastrophism and what could be considered punctuated equilibrium on a on a planetary scale a eh, eh, randall exactly <clears throat> and i think you've just you know hit the nail on the head here um i think we can understand so much of this these esoteric traditions is essentially being, and the need for creating uh, instruments for the preservation uh, and transmission of knowledge has its roots, I think, in this, you know, what we would call the points of discontinuity, the punctuated equilibrium of the world that we inhabit. When, you know, when I, I'm guessing we're probably roughly the same age. I, I was, uh, you know, came out of high school in the end of the 60s, and, you know, we get in the 60s and 70s, the prevailing paradigm was pretty much... The, the planet we inhabited was a pretty serene place. You know, uniformitarianism was the operating term uh, to describe the processes of change. Uh, gradualism, uh, as contrasted with the, the concepts in the early days of geology and earth science, which was purely catastrophic. Um, but then that became uh, relegated to the fringe and only uh, reputable scientists would uh, would not accept ideas such as great floods and catastrophes and so forth. So, um, and that's one of the things it sort of followed that same process. If we look at the early 19th century and we look at the founding fathers of Earth science, what we see is that almost to a man, on some level or another, they endorse the idea of, of catastrophes in Earth history. And a lot of these guys were not indoctrinated into any particular dogma about Earth history. They were just going out and you know, trusting what they were seeing with their eyes in the landscape and trying to make sense out of it. And many of them came away, uh, you know, some of the, you know, the Buckland and Cuvier and Sedgwick and Murchison and these guys who were the, 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 the big guns of the founding of earth science, all were, were to a man catastrophists and had come to that not so much by their endorsement of scripture, but by what they had seen in the rocks, what the rocks had, had conveyed to them. And um, as we proceed through the 19th century, what we see is that that 
those models fell into sort of continuous disfavor to be replaced by this gradualistic model uh, that was uh, formulated by James Hutton and then further by by Playfair and uh, Charles Lyell, who became known as the, the uniformitarianists. And the attitude became that any thing other than what we processes that we could see and observe going on in the world around us today to invoke such processes try, to try to explain events in the past was unscientific. And so the operative uh, phrase became the, key, the present is the key to the past, which you know provides a tremendous amount of insight into the way the world has worked, but it puts limits on um, you know our understanding if we take that as dogma and assume that, well, only... Uh, things that are going on today are allowed as explanation for uh, events in the past. What we see, you know, as we come into the 20th century is that catastrophism had pretty much disappeared altogether except for a few eccentrics. Um, the first revival, I think, of it became came actually with a paper published in the 1920s uh, or a series of papers by a geologist named J. Harlan Bretz who out in the Pacific Northwest had documented the evidence for these gigantic uh, mega floods that he saw uh, at work that he had seen leaving their imprint in the landscape and uh, he met with a great deal of derision and obstructionism and criticism from um, you know from mainstream geology for about a quarter of a century but you know he doggedly stuck to his guns and continued to document the, the, the unambiguous field research until eventually, um, a lot of his, a few of his key critics actually had sort of Paul on the road to Damascus type conversions when they finally went out and looked at some of the, these landscapes for themselves. Others who just never would come around, they finally passed away, and um, you know, a new generation of geologists came along that were a little bit more open-minded and started looking at some of the research that this that Jay Harlan Bretz had accumulated and said, yeah, indeed, there's no other really interpretation for this than gigantic floods. And, um, you know, eventually it, it became accepted. Now, my take on it is there has become a, an entrenched dogma as to the explanation of these floods that I think puts an artificial restriction on understanding the true scale of them. But I think, you know, what we're looking at and what Bretz was looking at was essentially a regional expression of a global event. And even I don't think Bretz understood that, but, you know, it even into the you know 40s and 50s. He, he lived, I believe, to be about 98 years old, so he joked once he was given the, awarded the Penrose Medal, which is the highest medal in, in earth science, uh, he joked that, well, you know, he, he, the reason he was dotted is because he outlived all of his critics. So in any case, he, he opened the door, I think, to sort of, he was one of the bridges between the 19th century ideas of catastrophism and what later uh, emerged at sort of the end of the 20th century, which I think of as the neo or new catastrophism that came in the wake of the discovery of, of the, uh, the fact that the Earth gets in, impacted by asteroids and comets and uh, that has some of the great events in the history of the Earth were, were triggered by those kinds of uh, you know, impacts, such as the, the disappearance of the dinosaurs at the Cretaceous tertiary boundary about 66 million years ago. You, I'm sure you're somewhat familiar with that story. The discovery essentially that the, in the early 1980s that the planet had been dusted with cosmic metals at that particular boundary where 75% of all the species on the planet disappeared. And that led to, I think, a, a, the beginning of a major paradigm shift, the realization that 
yeah, our planet is, is part of a much larger cosmic environment, and what goes on in that cosmic environment can have pretty dramatic effects what, about, you know, as far as what goes on here below. And I think in that respect, we kind of are seeing a, a coming full circle, because obviously anybody who looks at ancient cultures knows that this was very much their attitude. You know, when they built temples and, and structures and even laid out whole urban complexes that were meant to reflect the, the patterns of the heavens above, and, you know, incorporated into these structures, the design of these structures, just minute, minute uh, um, information that would have required literally generations to, to, uh, to know about. For example, um, are you familiar with the book Hamlet's Mill? Yes, I have a copy. Santilli? Okay. Santilla? Santilla? Yeah. Yeah. Santiana. Santiana. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Sure. Okay, well, that was pretty much, that was a, you know, 1969 seminal work that, that really helped to shift the paradigm uh, into the acceptance that perhaps ancient cultures knew more than they were given credit for. And in that book, you know, one of the things that they postulate is that, uh, that the processional cycle was understood by somebody back in the ancient world a full millennium before um, Aristarchus supposedly discovered, or yeah, Aristarchus. And you do a great job of pointing out in your presentation uh, how much we, uh, as life on Earth, owe to the wobble, which creates a wider center of the Earth. Correct? Yes. I mean, that wobble really, I mean, in its own way, it imparts uh, influences that are every bit as dramatic as, I mean... Randall, are you still there? Oh, I think we lost you. Um, but basically, uh, it is a fascinating idea to realize that that we owe so much of our actual life existence here on this planet to that procession that wobble of our planet in its in one of the three motions of the earth that we know to exist it is the third and most integral aspect of that motion because it creates the widening of the center which which, uh, as Randall points out in a very uh, elaborate manner in his presentation, owes to the development of uh, higher life forms on Earth. So it's, it's really amazing. And one other thing that, that he mentioned, he brought up how the, the, the transmission of this knowledge was so important. And it, it, when we come back from the break, we'll continue right there with, as to what that means and why. And how. Right here on American Freedom Radio, it's Middle Chamber. We're talking with Randall Carlson. Uh, we'll be right back, everybody. We'll continue. So stay tuned. Second hour. American Freedom Radio. Free your mind too. 
a conference on consciousness, mind control, and the occult. April 25th through 27th in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. World-renowned whistleblowers gather together to shed light on our world's problems and bring forward empowering solutions. Three days, 24 speakers, your mind set free. Free your mind too. April 25th through 27th in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. For speaker and ticket information, visit FreeYourMindConference.com. Male testosterone is at an all-time low. Erectile dysfunction, loss of libido, poor stamina, and increased body fat. Just a few psychologically devastating effects of low T. Has there ever been a time in the history of history men have been bombarded with so much estrogen and artificial hormones? Introducing the Ultimate Test Formula, a scientific breakthrough in hormonogenic technology. The Ultimate Test Formula comes loaded with the most advanced ingredients to virtually restore optimum testosterone homeopathically without the side effects of almost all synthetic solutions on the market. See my video and learn more at theultimatetestformula.com. That's the ultimatetestformula.com. Low test is dangerous. So are most of the solutions. Visit theultimatetestformula.com today and restore your drive. But there's a reason. There's a reason. There's a reason for this. There's a reason education sucks. And it's the same reason that it will never, ever, ever be fixed. It's never going to get any better. Don't look for it. Be happy with what you got. Because the owners of this country don't want that. I'm talking about the real owners now. The real owners, the big wealthy business interests that control things and make all the important decisions. Forget the politicians. The politicians are put there to give you the idea that you have freedom of choice. You don't. You have no choice. You have owners. They own you. They own everything. They own all the important land. They own and control the corporations. They've long since bought and paid for the Senate, the Congress, the state houses, the city halls. They've got the judges in their back pockets. And they own all the big media companies, so they control just about all of the news and information you get to hear. They, they spend billions of dollars every year lobbying, lobbying to get what they want. Has your heart been pounding? Feel short of breath? Got high blood pressure or problems sleeping? Heart disease is a leading cause of death. Being surrounded by fast food, toxic air, and poisoned water has a cumulative effect as we enter later life. Medications that only address symptoms ensure these problems persist while your family and finances suffer. It's time to work with the body and its own innate ability to heal itself. Heart and Body Extract is a natural, organic herbal supplement that restores balance. A heart attack could be just around the corner. Spare your loved ones pain and fear. Protect yourself. Protect your health with Heart and Body Extract. With a lifetime money-back guarantee, you have no excuse. Order a two-month supply today. Call toll-free 866-295-5305. That's 866-295-5305. Or order online at hbextract.com. 
No rules. No rules. No taboo topics. No taboo topics. No fear of doom. No fear of doom. We are. We are. American Freedom Radio. American Freedom Radio. timing everyone it's all about the timing <laughs> we're back i love that song it's called acadian magic by prometheus this is the middle chamber and i am freighter x and we are having an awesome conversation with randall carlson from sacredgeometryinternational.com go to that website and buy his dvd there to get an elaboration on all the topics that we are raising in this conversation this evening now, the second hour, I'd just like to uh, put out the usual thanks all around. Our Intergalactic House Band Systemic for the opening sequence music. All our supporters, listeners, and faithful followers. Thanks to Swami Shivananda Giri last time for sitting in as guest host. What an awesome show that was. Check it out in the archives. If you missed it, it's also posted on this show's website, middlechamberfx.wordpress.com. And thanks to all of you who have emailed me or tweeted me or Skyped or Facebooked. I am. Thanks to all for great feedback, positive encouragement. I would like also to say that I would like to know if you disagree 
as I have said before, please feel free to send me criticisms if you have them, especially concerning my material and any thesis I raise. It can only help me to work out the flaws in my own logic and reasoning, which I know exist. <laughs> so correct, I can correct them and strengthen my understanding and arguments and conclusions. So, uh, you know, uh, please feel free to give me feedback. I really welcome it. Now, the URL, URL address for the show is, as I said, middlechamberfx.wordpress.com. Please make note, update your browsers and your favorites if you haven't already done so. On the webpage, you know, there's a chat room. It's embedded there. You can find that. Uh, it's also at middlechamber.chatango.com. Join MaderX and all the other faithful followers of this weekly broadcast, where, as always, at this time every Saturday night, 6 p.m. Central on American Freedom Radio, in the chamber, the chat has already begun. And please check out my blogs as well, freighterx.blogspot.com and synchrofiction.blogspot.com, which is the home of the Stream Punk Chronicles, Thrilling Tales of Cyberfiction. And stay tuned for the Secret, War the Secret War Inside Freemasonry by yours truly, coming out this summer, 2013, from Sync Book Press. As already stated, I'm making real progress on the book, but I have paused to prepare my own presentation for the Free Your Mind Conference too, next in two weeks in Philadelphia, as well as I'm an announcer. I have to announce 10 speakers over the course of 14 hours one entire day. So, And I'm helping to set the whole thing up and plaster the city with flyers and, you know, just do all kinds of crazy stuff. It's going to be awesome, though. We're going to have a great time. So come on down if you're able to. And if not, look for the streams and uploads of the uh, event, the video. There will be a video recording. Whether we're going to do it live I hope, but I'm not, I don't know any of the details. And I can tell you that we're definitely going to record it. So keep, keep yourself posted by checking the uh, media outposts that you can to find out information. Real-time updates from me on Twitter, at Freighter369. You can follow MaderX, at Mater369. And her blog is Spilt Milk. If you're a fan of sci-fi, hi-fi, and key, key lime pie, go over to MaderX369.blogspot.com to find out more. Greetings to all the listeners out there this evening. As you know, we broadcast weekly live, brought to you by American Freedom Radio, the gateway, your gateway to the world. Shout out to all our affiliates of the show, American Freedom Radio Network, simulcasting us weekly. Hello to Captain Jack and all the other freedom fighters over at Radio Underground, over at WAPR, Asheville Public Radio, Asheville, North Carolina. Greetings also to 100.1 Lake Travis, Texas, just outside of Austin. Welcome to the show tonight. And finally, a big shout-out to Liberty and Justice Radio, 95.1 FM and 1640 on the AM dial in Shirley, Massachusetts. Greetings as well to all the prisoners currently residing at Shirley Minimum Security Facility tonight who may be listening to a rebroadcast of the show. May you, too, find peace and truth. I sincerely hope you do. Upcoming show here in the middle chamber, we have... Let's see. Well, I'm not gonna. I'm gonna be on the on April 20th. I'll be interviewed by Canadian Awareness Network at CanadianAwareness.org for a podcast that will be posted afterwards. Not sure about a live broadcast at this point. Sorry to say, I don't have that information. April 24th. Excuse me. April 21st. It's off to Philadelphia for the Free Your Mind Conference from the 25th to the 27th. After that, Joseph Atwill, author of Caesar's Messiah, will return May 18th to discuss the DVD that he released on the same subject. And on May 25th, we have Lon Milo Duquette, who will return once again to discuss another awesome book of his called Understanding Aleister Crowley's Thoth Tarot. 
I've also just received John Michael Greer's new book. It's called Not the Future We Ordered, Peak Oil Psychology and the Myth of Progress, which we will have him on afterwards to talk about after I've read the book. So <laughs> stay tuned, as always, for more awesome guests, fascinating topics in the future here in the Middle Chamber, as you guys said before. Brought to you by American Freedom Radio. Also, Weird Stuff Magazine on sale now at freemantv.com. Go over there today and purchase your copy. Purchase your copy. And, you know, the word on the street in Austin, Texas, it seems, is that Alex Jones just purchased an a $580,000 pool and pool house set up for his home. I guess he's got a pizza oven inside of it. I'm not sure, but that's what the rumors are. So if you want to go ahead and you know support the likes of that fraud, go ahead. <laughs> you can help him to have a nice, awesome pool if that's the case. Or you can support some real new media like freemantv.com. What on earth is happening.com, freeyourmindconference.com, bobtuscan.com, americanfreedomradio.com, and also sacredgeometryinternational.com. Help us to save the fracking world by waking people's minds up to the reality. That's it. Finally, Freighter's pick for this week. Well, I all had one pick was Jello Biafra's new musical media project, Guantanamo School of Medicine, and their new single is called Werewolves of Wall Street. So check that out. But I also posted Freeman and Jamie's most recent trip to Brave New Books in Austin, Texas. They had a book signing. It was awesome. They had a great time. They, they at least broke even, I believe, and that's great. And I think they just met a lot of great people, and it was a big show out. So you can check out that video there on freighterx.blogspot.com. All right, now on with the show. Now, we started out, we, we were just starting to talk about awareness of the procession and how important that was to li all life on earth and that's when we kind of lost uh randall so if you want to just kind of because you give us the breakdown on, on on the the development of the wide the wide center of the earth and how that relates to higher life development on earth randall please yes um could you rephrase that last question could you could you elaborate for the listeners on how the the procession of the equinox causing the widening of the center of the earth, as, as I understand it from your presentation, oh, okay. um, would, would brought about higher, the development of higher life on earth. Well, okay. Um, well, it's actually the uh, rotation of the earth on its axis, I believe is what you're talking about, which causes the, the, the equatorial bulge that stabilizes sure. the earth in its, in its uh, inclination to the, or, to the orbital plane, which is the plane of the ecliptic. So the earth is tilted over 23 and a half degrees. It maintains that uh, that orientation because of this equatorial bulge, which is the consequence of the Earth rotating on its axis once every 24 hours. Now, because of the fact that there are... So, so you've got the internal mass of the Earth creating the shape of the Earth, which creates the bulge. Now you have the, the totality of all gravitational forces, which is primarily going to be the Moon, secondarily the Sun, and then to a smaller, to a lesser extent, the... the the pull of the planets all working together to gravitationally pull on that bulge, um, which then causes the Earth's axis to, axis to swing around in a in a um, shall we say in an hourglass pattern. It's you know difficult to explain verbally. That's why I use so many graphics and imagery in my uh, DVD presentation to help people understand that. And we have a really uh, wonderful animation of these processes because. 
I know they're difficult to visualize, and so to help people visualize, we've included a lot of graphics and animations in the DVD. In any case, all, all the more reason for folks to go ahead and get a copy of those DVDs so they can really get a good idea of what you're speaking to. Absolutely. So now, basically, you can think of the processional cycle as being Earth's third motion. Um, with its, its primary motion obviously being the rotation on its axis, the thing that most affects our day-to-day -day life most directly, gives us the day-night cycle, gives us the, the, the cycle of our internal clocks, uh, you know, and our, our waking and sleeping and all of that. Then we have the secondary motion of the Earth, which is, is its revolution about the sun, which, of course, is what brings the change of the seasons. The change of the seasons, of course, is also intimately linked with the tilt of the Earth's axis because if the Earth's axis was perpendicular to its orbital plane, you would not have a change of seasons through the course of the year. The change of seasons, I, in, in my public talks and so forth, I'm quite surprised how many people actually think when I ask people, why is it colder in the winter and warmer in the summer? And people respond by saying, well, we must be closer to the Earth, I mean, closer to the sun in the summer and far, farther away in the winter. And of course, it's exactly opposite. The Earth uh, passes perihelion, or its closest uh, point to the sun in its orbit, on January 2nd. So it's it's actually the angle at which the solar rays strike the atmosphere, and that is determined by the axial tilt of the Earth. But see, that axial tilt is not fixed forever in space. So during our current epoch, the north polar axis of the Earth points very close to the star Polaris, which is what we know as the North Star, which is the tail of the of the uh, Canis Minor or the Little Bear. Well, through the course of this whole processional cycle, which, as I mentioned earlier, uh, is measured at 50 arc seconds per year. If you actually run the, do the numbers on it, you'll see that that translates into about one arc degree of motion every 72 years. So, again, because there's 360 degrees in a full circle and 72 years it takes per degree for the motion of the vernal equinox, which is the point that we measure precession of the equinoxes with, that's why it's called precession of the equinoxes, moves one degree in the sky every 72 years. And so, and it's because of this tilt of the Earth's axis swinging around slowly in this hourglass motion that, that we perceive this slowly changing cycle of the ages. So when we talk about the transition from the age of Aries to the age of Pisces, from the age of Pisces now into the upcoming age of Aquarius, you know, not just in the New Age sense, but in the astronomical sense, what we're talking about is the vernal equinox, which is the position that the sun arrives at in its yearly journey, um, is actually moving out of the star pattern of Pisces into the star pattern of Aquarius. Well, that full cycle around the 12 uh, signs of the zodiac takes uh, uh, 72 years per degree times 360 degrees is back to that number I mentioned earlier, 25,920 years. This is what's become known as the great year. And so just as our annual year uh, has uh, you know, 12 months within the cycle, the great year has 12 months within the cycle, and each of months are the ages that I just mentioned. So we're for the last 2,000 years, roughly, we've been in the age of Pisces. And what that means is that if you actually went out and... In the, we're able to look at the uh, sky, the morning of spring equinox, and see which constellation was just rising on the horizon just before the sun came up, it would be the constellation of Pisces. 
and for the next 2,000 years, it'll be the constellation of Aquarius. So this was sort of, you can think of this as the, as the cosmic clock, if you will. And so just as our annual year has 12 months and the clock on the wall has 12 hours, the great year has 12 ages within it. And as our annual year has four seasons, as, the, as our daily cycle has four periods marked by, uh, by dawn, by high noon, by dusk, by midnight, so does the great year have these four epochs that are usually marked by the four fixed signs of the zodiac. Taurus the bull, Leo the lion, uh, the Scorpio, usually represented by Aquila the eagle, which is another constellation that rises simultaneous with the scorpion, and then, of course, Aquarius. If you're actually able to go out and define those four constellations in the sky, they would form a giant cross. You know, there'd be an axis that connects... Uh, Taurus and Scorpio, and there would be an axis that connects Aquarius and Leo, and those two axes are at right angles to each other. And, and, and then we have, we have this quadrant uh, symbolism that is encoded with all the meanings of the zodiac, as you said, the directions on the compass, the cardinal signs in the zodiac, the cardinal points on the compass, and the exactly. you know, symbols uh, there. Also, I, I was reminded of Sitchin's work where he spoke of the uh, Anunnaki and also the Sumerian kings list, the influence of the leader preceded and proceeded by the, the zodiac sign that was the new one rising in the, uh, the vernal equinox. Yes, and, and the Sumerian king lists reflect the very same numbers that we were talking about earlier, this numerical cosmology that we find embedded in so many places. If we look at those Sumerian, the Sumerian king lists, we'll see that the duration of the reigns of the king are all these sacred numbers that have in common the fact that they reduce to nine uh, when, you, when you Kabbalistically reduce them to a single digit. And if you take the totality of the ten kings, you'll oh, find sorry, that they... Sorry. That's the break point, Randall. We'll be right back. We'll continue when we get back with Randall Carlson in the middle chamber, everybody. Now you and your family and friends can enjoy the cleanest, most delicious, and healthy drinking water anytime, even while traveling, camping, at sporting events, or in emergency situations. The Berkeleyite removes bacteria, cysts, parasites, and harmful chemicals to below detectable levels. It also reduces nitrates and unhealthy minerals like lead and mercury while leaving in the beneficial and nutritional minerals your body needs. Berkelite is so powerful, it can even purify raw, untreated water from remote lakes and streams. And the optional PF2 filters even remove fluoride. The Berkelite LED, with its rechargeable lighting system, can be used as a nightlight or camp light. To view or purchase your Berkey water system and replacement filters, please visit American Freedom Radio's website at AmericanFreedomRadio.com and click the Berkey banner. Once again, that's AmericanFreedomRadio.com and click the Berkey water banner. Not yet available in Iowa. Do you realize every day we are being put under constant stress from wireless radiation? What's worse is that you don't even know that it's happening. It puts as much stress on our body as if we had a constant viral infection, draining our energy and sapping our strength, or just making us irritable and fatigued. These wireless fields are being emitted from computers, microwaves, mobile phones, power lines, and any electrical appliance. Now there is a solution. A group of research engineers 
manufacturers in New Zealand have come up with an active shielding device that shields you from wireless radiation at a cellular level. Blue Shield comes in three models, a household, portable and USB that plugs into any computer. The great thing about Blue Shield is it is very affordable and guaranteed to last. A one-off purchase will see you being protected for years to come. Visit AmericanFreedomRadio.com and click on the Blue Shield banner. Blue Shield, brought to you by the VinnieEastwoodShow.com. Nicotine, alcohol, good drugs. Coincidentally, tax drugs. Ooh, how does this work? Thank God they're taxing alcohol, man. It means we got those good roads we can drive on. Because I'll tell you something, I'll be honest, man. If I were going to legalize a drug, it sure wouldn't have been alcohol. Sorry, there's better drugs and better drugs for you. That's a fact. Pot is a better drug than alcohol. Fact. Fact. Stop your internal dialogue. But Bill, alcohol's a little... Shut up! You're wrong. Get over it. I'll prove it to you, man. You're at a ball game or a concert and someone's really violent and aggressive and obnoxious. Are they drunk or are they smoking pot? They're drunk. I have never seen people on pot get in a fight because it is impossible. Hey, buddy. Hey, what? Hey, hey. End of argument. We're ready for our first caller. Welcome, Debbie. Well, can you tell us a little bit about what the RNA drops are doing for you and what your experience is on them? Oh, gosh, I've had so many experiences. The first effect I felt was I would take the drops before going off to the golf course to play in league or just to play, and I noticed my game uh, was more precise, and my focus was there, and my eyes stayed right in the ball, and I hit the ball farther. My, my muscles seemed to work. My energy levels seemed to be up, and I'll tell you, I, I took a couple of strokes off my game. I think that's incredible. It's pretty exciting. What are the other things that you have noticed on that? <laughs> well, <laughs> in my love life, <laughs> uh, I noticed that the focus and the energy level and the the energy exchange that I have with my man has been amazing. I can actually feel the energy uh, exchange from his body to my body. That just, is great. Just beautiful, absolutely beautiful. And again, you can get those drops at trinasgooddrops.com. That's right, trinasgooddrops.com. Warning. Warning. American. Warning. American Freedom Radio. This habit forming. American Freedom Radio. This habit forming. Use the truth carefully. Listen to Time for Him, hosted by Casper Leach. Afternoons, Monday through Friday, 12 p.m. to 1 p.m. Central. Only on American Freedom Radio.
That's uh, systemic receding in the background there. Check them out on Facebook, and I think they're, I think they're on. Uh, I know they're on Facebook, and uh, you'll find other connections to them elsewhere. We're back in the middle chamber. We're talking with Randall Carlson, and we have. Uh, uh, well, we're covering uh, quite uh, a <laughs> expansive view of things, I believe, and. Uh, one of the things we've touched on is the idea of the ebb and flow of knowledge at different points in human history. And I think a point that you were starting to raise, which we didn't come back around to, Randall, was that the importance of orders, you know, secret societies and other esoteric orders, to be in place to consistently transmit, preserve and transmit the sacred knowledge, even in the ebb of knowledge as a as a whole in the species of humanity, you know. Even there, there's that one book that was written at one point, uh, "How the Irish Saved Civilization" by Thomas Cahill, and that was a book that showed how the monks in Ireland, at one point in the darkest of the dark ages, they were the only ones who had like you know the ancient knowledge that was the Greeks, uh, you know. Uh, Aristotle, Plato, and, and many other works, they were preserving an illuminated text in the monasteries and the, uh, and the uh, scriptoriums, right? And that was a, a holy or, in holy orders, monastic orders. What do, you, yeah. what do you think of that, Randall? Oh, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because, you see, it, it kind of brings it back to what we were talking about just before the break. We, we, we kind of got into the discussion of catastrophism, and, and it's important for people to realize that we're... we're Redefining the history of the Earth, and in this new the new paradigm of understanding Earth history, we realize that there are two modes of change: the kind that has dominated throughout our recorded history, and then this other mode of change, where several orders of magnitude greater intensity of change occurs in a very short interval of time. And really, that's where most of the action takes place: is in these. Uh, these points of discontinuity, if you will, these nodal points where the whole balance of, of things on Earth shifts dramatically. And I think one of the, once we begin to understand that model of Earth change, we can kind of begin to also understand the function of the, the orders. Because you brought up the Irish and the, and the monasteries that preserved knowledge during the, the Dark Ages. And, of course, what we now realize about the Dark Ages is that's not just metaphorical. The Dark Ages were literally dark for extended periods of time. I'm not sure if you're aware of some of the research that's been done by dendrochronologists, the guys who study tree rings to uh, discern past climates. Uh, any case, Isn't that how they identified a small ice age in the 18th century? Uh, yes. that's Yeah, dendrochronology discloses a tremendous amount of information regarding past climates, because obviously the growth in, in a benign climate, trees tend to grow faster, and, you know, if you have a, a cold, dark climate, the tree ring growth is, is you know, truncated dramatically. And, and what these dendrochronologists, one of the things that as they begin to push the, um, the, the record of tree ring uh, proxies back was that between around 536 A.D. and 544 A.D., there was uh, an almost complete cessation of forest growth in the northern hemisphere, which is pretty dramatic. And this was reflected in trees in North America as well as, as throughout Europe. And this was correlated with um, accounts at the time suggesting that 
the sky had grown dark, the sun was dim, that uh, there were, you know, weeks, months at a time sometimes where the sun would, would not show. And this has led a number of researchers to conclude, Mike Bailey is one of them, uh, who, who was a dendrochronologist who came to the conclusion that perhaps the Earth had been, uh, something had caused a, a um, the increase in the opacity of the atmosphere that didn't allow the sun to come through. And there have been two basic theories proposed, one volcanic and the other cosmic. Now, the volcanic theory um, would, could certainly account for it, except for the fact that there was not any um, known volcanoes that erupted uh, significantly between that 536 and 544 A.D. Um, however, what, what has occurred is that a impact crater has been discovered off the coast of Norway. It's been given the name Grendel, and it appears to be around 500, to have occurred around 536 to 540 A.D. And um, so one of the theories that had been proposed before this impact crater was actually discovered on the bottom of the sea was that the Earth, this opacity, the atmosphere had been affected by a cosmic dusting. Um, that something had come into the Earth's atmosphere, probably cometary related, and literally caused the, the planet to cool, uh, the sun to go obscure, caused a collapse of agriculture for several years running, which brought on famine, which brought on weakened immune systems, and then brought on the Justinian plague in 542 AD, which wiped out about a third the population of Europe. Okay, well, now this is a, a good example of, you know, a, a crisis brought on by perhaps by external events. And it was in the aftermath of this that we find this sequestering into these monasteries and this attempt to preserve knowledge. If we look through history as a whole, I think we can find something, a, a parallel phenomena running, and that is that in these times of crisis and breakdown, you have this withdrawal into these refugium, to use the ecological, ecologist term or a, or a sanctuary where knowledge can be preserved until basically, you know, things settle down and, you know, we can resume our, our normal uh, pace of life. And then at that point, the knowledge has been preserved and it can at that point then be uh, disseminated at large. And I think if we look at, at history as a whole, I think we, we can see that phenomenon at work. Now, I go back to, you know, before the break, I was talking about some of these great floods that, that were discovered by this J. Harlan Bretz. Well, interestingly, these floods dated back to around twelve or 13,000 years ago, which puts us in that epoch I was talking about in one of the first segments related to this processional cycle. Now, I kind of look at it this way. If we were, you probably remember in, in February when we had the close flyby of the asteroid, right? That the, on the same day that the that the small asteroid blew up over the Russian, the Siberian town. Yes. And well, you know, if you, if you follow that sort of thing, you also realize that within two weeks there, we had actually in the cosmic scale of things, we had four flybys within within one week, and then in, in a week later, we had four more. Um, and, and this is one of the things that, I, that I've tracked for, for over 20 years now. And what you realize is that um, unlike the models of, you know, from going back mid-20th century, we realize that we live in a densely populated part of the galaxy. And it's, space is not an empty place out there. In fact, it's a cosmic shooting gallery. And at the same time that, we're, that astronomers are realizing that space is much more densely populated with a variety of, of entities, you know, the geologists are discovering that that the surface of the Earth is is just 
pockmarked with huge number of scars from these cosmic encounters and obviously would have had to have had some impact on the progression of life, the evolution of life. And uh, when you bring it closer to home, there's also a new school of thought arising that such events have affected human history in dramatic ways. Well, I suspect strongly that if you go back in history, there would have been times where you had individuals who, again, we know that ancient peoples were obsessive sky watchers. Why were they such obsessive sky watchers? Well, I think for one of the reasons is that there were epochs in throughout history where the sky was much, much more active than it has been in, in recent centuries. And then that activity that was going on in the sky had direct implications for what was happening here below. And, and people were aware of that and putting two and two together. And this was largely one of the, the, the influences why people were so obsessed with watching the sky and building monuments and so forth that allowed them to actually to track celestial motion with a high degree of accuracy. Well, it's, it's without elaborating any further, it can get mainly to the point, I think it's very possible that there would have been an element of predictability to some of these events. And perhaps what you had is in the uh, event of, a, of a, um, a geological catastrophe that could have you know, basically interrupted the course of, of society or civilization, you would have had people who deliberately planned intentionally to, to, uh, to retreat to a place of refuge and preserve as much of the, the prevailing knowledge as possible. And so in the aftermath of a global catastrophe or even an extensive regional catastrophe, you would have a, a, a essentially a loss of tradition, a loss of knowledge, and in the aftermath, you would see two kinds of survivors. You would see those who survived by luck of the draw, and you would see those who survived because that was part of their plan and their intention to survive. Out of the first group I mentioned, you're basically going to have a group of people that are going to be wholly preoccupied with the, 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 the day-to-day challenge of surviving, finding food to eat, basically. In the second group, perhaps who have made preparations and who have deliberately attempted to preserve this knowledge, until such time as basically the dust settles and things get back to normal, they will have this legacy of, of, of knowledge to, to make, disseminate on a broader scale. I, I, would, uh, I would propose, if I could inter- interrupt for just a do. moment, yeah. Brando, I would propose in that second group it would divide into two subgroups. And within one group you would have those who would continue to simply preserve the knowledge for the time when it could be reactivated and reapplied. And in the other group, you would have those who I would believe, or who I in fact believe did design to take control of the first group. Uh, so, so in other words, there was one group that, who was motivated by, by altruistic motives and another that was basically opportunistic, which is what you're saying. That, yes, and they used the same toolbox. Uh, that, and Yeah, that's... Sure, and they basically designed uh, the social engineering techniques that have carried on down through the millennia since that 13,000-year point. Probably, with, cat- with a cataclysm or a catastrophe, it collectively knocked human consciousness offline, almost like a, a whole collective post-traumatic stress disorder. And in the wake of that cataclysm, like you said, that first group is just barely, barely scrambling to survive. Whereas the second group saw it coming, prepared for it, and then immediately sets about as soon as the waves recede to create, 
you know, control systems, all designed around building symbolism because they are the builders. We're here to re- rebuild, and you can join us, follow us. We'll, we'll help you to do it. And, you know, there's a certain amount of anxiety which forms around not only the knowledge but the effects of this sort of catastrophism. And certainty, as you said, is found through measurement predictability. Certainty was found, I think, in controlled and limited awareness. It was a, it was a, it was an exchange. The population exchanged it with the with the small group that was, pre, pre, you know, that was presenting it, that was making it available. Hey, and, and certainly, if if you know that group could present to to you know people at large the idea that hey, you you know you become subservient to us and we can protect you from a, a recurrence of this kind of an event. You know, we, through our rituals and through our, you know, uh, classified knowledge, we can prevent this future, this from happening in the future. I certainly could see that could be uh, a possibility. I, you know, I hadn't really sure, especially that, you just brought it up, but it, that's an interesting take on it. That's sort of like the basis of my presentation for the Free Your Mind Conference, because uh, my, my topic is the secret, the secret war on human consciousness, uh-huh. and and so it's. You know, the, the idea is, <laughs> that's really, in a nutshell, you know, that, that would be it. Is, uh, the possibility is definitely there, I think. And it would be, um, you know, we could see it continued in the parallels of all the imperial ages of man throughout history. We see people making concessions. Look at ancient Rome. You know, look at uh, the American Revolution. I mean, people make concessions for liberty, of liberty for security. The famous yes. ben, ben Franklin quote, you know, which is so apropos today in the wake of uh, the proposed false flag events that have occurred in our society as maybe means of creating that kind of anxiety collectively once again. You know, the focus yeah. of uh, the focus of consensual building reality through televised media and multimedia in a negative way is able to collectively affect in like a global enchantment almost. There the are those who really, enchantment. sure, there are those who really believe that occurred, right? <laughs> I think it was a, a sort of a global hypnosis. Um, right. And, and you're right. I think, you know, they, they'll exploit these these events, or if there's, you know, if circumstances don't provide events, they create the events in order to, yeah. um, you know, and, and look how many people are rushing to basically give up their liberty uh, in exchange for, Yes, well, we'll 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 let you read our email, tap our phones, come into our homes without warrants, and all the rest of the stuff if you keep us safe. You know, that's and the so, very basis. That's the very coercive movement of our society. I see it everywhere. I see it motivating everyone around me. Fear. It's yeah, all fear. It, it's fear-based. Yes, and I think if, if you know, it, again, and I just to me it's frustrating because I say to people, come on, it's it's time to grow up here. You know. Um, you know, realize that you know that that boogeyman under the bed isn't real. And okay, you know, Randall. Is- Sorry to cut in, but we got to stop for the, our next break and then bring in the final segment. So when okay. we come back, the boogeyman isn't real, everybody under your bed. When we come back, we'll continue <laughs> in the middle chamber with Randall Carlson from SacredGeometryInternational.com. We'll be right back, everybody.
Let's see if we got a caller calling in. Thank you, Glenda, for coming on the show today. Can you tell us a little bit about what the RNA drops have done for you? Well, yes, I have uh, fibromyalgia and arthritis in my hands, and I used to have to take uh, steroid drops for this, but I got on the RNA drop, and I am a lot better. I, I don't hurt as bad, and I have a tremendous amount of energy. Oh, that is good to hear. Uh, how long did you have to take the drops before you started noticing them? Um, not very long. And you noticed an increase in energy? Did it take you a little while? in order to have the um, pain diminish? Probably a couple of weeks, but it's such a gradual thing that you can't really pinpoint. It's just all of a sudden you notice that, wow, this is great. That is wonderful. And I just want to tell everybody, you can go to trinasgooddrops.com and claim your free mini bottles. You just pay a little bit for shipping and handling. It's a great value. There's other products on there also, like the Realign and uh, Renew and uh, bigger bottles of RNA drops. You go to trinasgooddrops.com. My name is John Stewart, president of Biophysica, Inc., and a biomedical engineer. We make the world's most advanced colloidal generators for domestic and industrial quantities of mineralized waters. Many bottling plants worldwide use our generators to make colloidal silver, the world's most life-saving antimicrobial supplement, as well as colloidal zinc, gold, magnesium, copper, iron, etc., Biophysica Advanced Generators produce the smallest nanomolecules to ensure potency against the smallest, most vicious viruses. A Biophysica Colloidal Generator will give your family the best quality colloidal silver for many years, quickly, cheaply, and easily. Contact us at biophysica.com or call us at 416-636-5804. You're listening to AmericanFreedomRadio.com, the network who perseveres in delivering intelligent debate, constructive dialogue with true independence. The freedom to broadcast the truth is not free at all. So what is American Freedom Radio worth to you? The empowering information with fun, honest and pure integrity behind it provides an example to follow. Friendships to flourish with the moral altruism that pulls no punches. The hosts sacrifice and show remarkable discipline in their duty to deliver quality radio and service to the community with strength, wisdom, and loyalty. The founders of AFI wish to thank you personally for sharing your views and insights to make the best radio and alternative media. Now it's time for you to give something back and play a vital role in the future of America. Be as generous with us as we've been with you. Click on the donate banner at AmericanFreedomRadio.com or volunteer by emailing AmericanFreedomRadio at Ymail.com. Vaccine, psychotropic drugs, and artillery batteries not included. Has your heart been pounding? Feel short of breath? Got high blood pressure or problems sleeping? Heart disease is the leading cause of death. Being surrounded by fast food, toxic air and poisoned water has a cumulative effect as we enter later life. Medications that only address symptoms ensure these problems persist while your family and finances suffer. It's time to work with the body and its own innate ability to heal itself. Heart and Body Extract is a natural organic herbal supplement that restores balance. A heart attack could be just around the corner. Spare your loved ones pain and fear. Protect yourself. Protect your health with heart and body extract. With a lifetime money-back guarantee, you have no excuse. Order a two-month supply today. Call toll-free 866-295-5305. That's 866-295-5305. Or order online at hbextract.com. 
the final segment of the evening say it isn't so boy what an awesome fascinating conversation we've had i believe that randall and i could continue to talk for far longer than the duration of this uh particular broadcast but um we will hopefully speak again and whether it be live or podcast uh, we've got so many other things we haven't even hit upon tonight during the break we were talking a little bit about the different appendant orders within freemasonry and uh I was making a comment to him with regards to the symbolism within the Scottish Rite. And one thing I wanted to point out to you, Randall, was that my research has found, especially looking at, like, the secret tradition in Freemasonry by Arthur Waite, especially his, the rewrite version, the one, not the first version, the one he wrote 25 years after, which after 25 years of uh, involvement in many different orders and Freemasonry, he wrote another version of it, and it was, it's far, far more extensive. But he says plainly that uh, Albert Pike pretty much condensed wholesale version, uh, wholesale segments and extracts from the work of Eliaphas Levi, especially his Transcendental Magic, its doctrines and ritual, mm-hmm. and mostly, most especially from he transferred it right directly into the uh, morals and dogma. And uh, Wade's not alone. Uh, also, Henry Coyle. From um, Henry Coyle from the 60s in his Freemasonry through six centuries makes the same claim and the large big copy of the history of Freemasonry and its concordant orders I'm sure you've seen it in many lodges it's the black one that's on the shelf that big heavy looks like a big old tome that one makes the same claim and all those books have pro and positive views of the Scottish Rite but they, but they do claim that because of course we know that Albert Pike rewrote the ritual, you know, what he received from mm-hmm. from Albert Mackey. But my work, yeah, my work is focusing specifically on ancient craft masonry as it as it formed here in America, and I believe it is a unique animal, a unique species of freemasonry that's not found anywhere else in the world, and that is as a result of the the specific conditions upon which freemasonry transplanted to this to this country from other Grand Lodge systems in other countries and how they then were blended and modified into our American uh, ancient craft masonry system. And I believe that it was initially designed to be accessible to the, to the common man in a, in a very less, well, I mean, not, not the common man at first, obviously, because we were still very rigid classes structure, but eventually with our more libertarian ideals in America, we became, it became open. And of course, 
with the with the need to increase membership and the rise in the in the interest in fraternal orders that occurred in the 19th and early 20th century in America, and we which I think also went hand in hand with a paramilitary movement in America in the wake of the uh, Civil War, and people's desire to maintain a connection to that what what they experienced, you know, the camaraderie, the brotherhood. The, uh, the military aspects of it, you know, because mm-hmm. so many people were involved in that war. And in those who weren't involved wanted to have something to relate to to all those that were. And those paramilitaries, like the Knights Templar in America, became a method to do that, and the other orders that formed around it. But uh, basically, my work is looking at that, looking at the, the, the development of that ancient carbonation, and then I believe it was derailed. And I believe it was derailed along with the advent of uh, the work that John Taylor Gatto did in the Underground History of American Education and in Dumbing Us Down, where he cites and tracks the intrusion of the Prussian schooling system or a quasi-Prussian mm-hmm. schooling system based on the modifications of Horace Mann and mm-hmm. others in the mid-19th century. And I've found research to point to, like, for example, the first uh, state-run educational department, you know, a state-mandated educational department was in Detroit, Michigan. And the first education minister in America, compulsion education minister, was a man named William Pierce, who was a Freemason who was driven out of Rochester, New York in the 1830s. He was a Unitarian minister who was accused of running an order of the Brotherhood of the Lodge of the Illuminati. Bavarian Illuminati out of his church. Really? Went across the Great Lakes, went across the Great Lakes to Michigan, to Detroit, and then was set up in this Prussian space schooling system. And of course, the, he was, there's, there's a, one reference to him being associated with the Scotch Masons in that region. And when we look back at the original origin of Scotch Masons back in the French, System, the continental degrees, the hot degrees in France, we find that there was a time in the uh, late 18th century where they had to actually amend the constitutions of the Grand Lodge system of France to limit the powers of the Scotch Masons in that region because they had totalitarian authority over the lodges. They could take control of the lodge and they were only answerable to other Scot Masons. Mm-hmm. They had a preferential, almost aristocratic stance. And we find, of course, in the higher degrees of masonry, like the strict observance and the, 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 all the hundreds of other degree orders that claim uh, connections to chivalry, the, the origin of Templar chivalry, they all, you know, Templar chivalry and other orders of chivalry, that's where all the lords and knights and people of, you know, a high class with landowning that gave up everything and joined those orders. Mm-hmm. Whereas the British Isle Lodge systems are based in one part on the Collegium and the Stonemasons Guilds, which were actual physical working class folks right. who, who, who actually combined with, I believe, hermeticists and alchemists during the Renaissance in order to, you know, uh, it was a survival move on their part in order to sort of do like the Druids did and ensconce themselves inside of a, like, you know, a wall of brutes. <laughs> right. <laughs> Around yeah, that makes sense. It does. What do you think of all that, Randall? <laughs> what do I think of all that? That's the uh, subject of my book. Okay. Well, the, obviously, you're going to have to read your book because a, a lot of those details are, are new information to me. And uh sounds very interesting, you know. So when do you expect it to be out? 
Well, I'm, 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 on, I'm on Chapter 5, and okay. I'm thinking it's probably going to come in a little over probably 10 or 12 chapters. Okay. Uh, it's so hard, though, to distill, you can imagine, and reduce the information from stacks of huge books, hours and hours of reading for one little extract, one little notation, one little citation, you know? And oh, it's I, been I know very, how that goes, yes. Exactly. Yeah, and having to reconstruct from so many sources, so many opinions, so many conclusions, you know, and, 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 and then there's those who would dismiss others and those who contradict others. And, yeah, so basically I've just, like, uh, followed my own trends, followed, applied uh, my own, you know, particular template to all the body of research and come up with a, with a reconstructed, uh, you know, forensic view <laughs> of what I would call the uh, the, the, the development of, Mer of, of American modified ancient craft masonry from those mostly British Isle mm -hmm. lodges, but also continental lodges, of course. And But I would posit that, you know, after 1725, uh, masonry's arrival on the mainland in, in Europe, it, it immediately changed from the, the version of masonry that arrived there that, that was then propagated there, and the aversion that remained in the British Isles. I think they became two separate creatures immediately. Mm -hmm. And that's partly because the French, not only did they invite the, or, you know, bring on the, really embrace the higher, the notions of, uh, you know, the Templar chivalry, but they also allowed people to join that were agnostics and atheists. And that changed uh, the basis on the landmark aspects for the you know ancient craft masonry of the British Isles. Well, yes, I can see how it would. For people who don't understand that, one of the most practical reasons is because people have to take oaths of obligations, and they're asked to do that on Bibles or other holy scripture. And a person who's an atheist or an agnostic, he doesn't believe in those holy scriptures, so his oath would be empty or bottomless. Yeah, but I've always sort of thought that the, the whole system is predicated upon creation as being an act of architecture and that as Freemasons we're essentially trying to mimic the, the great work and if you if you dismiss or don't believe in the, the, the model if you will of a great architect who, who essentially created the universe as an act of design then the, that's the fundamental working premise of the whole system so if you don't believe that um, I don't see how you know the, the the whole methodology of Freemasonry could actually mean anything to you, um, because I, I I take a teleological approach. I look at the the universe as as not being just a random event of by accident, a cosmic accident, but that somehow there's an intelligence throughout the whole manifested creation. Beyond that, you know, to me. Some, some, somebody asked me what my concept of God is. Well, I would say, well, mystery with a capital M. I, you know, I can't claim <laughs> to know what, and I don't think anybody does. If somebody claims to have a direct pipeline to God and speak for God, I'm immediately quite skeptical. <laughs> um, sure. Well, we're uh, about to. The show's about to end, Randall. Would you? Is there anything else that you wanted to promote in the last moments of the show that well, we didn't we, hit upon? We've got a. We've got an Evolver webinar coming up. Um, where we're going to uh, be interact, we're going to be. It's myself, Robert Schock, um, a number of other notables have been doing some interesting work along these lines, and um, I would invite people to check that out. It starts on April 21st, and then of course we've also got um, 
a uh, an upgrade on our DVD that's coming out. I think you've seen the first rough draft, but the new version that we're soon going to be uh, finished with is going to have lots of uh, detailed information on the things we've been talking about tonight. Uh, All right, Randall. Thank and you. classes, classes coming up. Go to the website and tell you all about it. SacredGeometryInternational.com, everyone. SacredGeometryInternational.com. Farewell, and that's our show, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you enjoyed yourselves. Pay a visit next time. Thank you, Randall Carlson. And again, thank you, dear listeners, for stopping by. Come back soon. You know when it broadcasts, Saturday night, 6 p.m. Central. That's our regular time. Hope you all return to the middle chamber. Farewell, everyone. Good night, Randall. Thank you, Frederick. is on duty 24 hours a day in the smooth room, just out in the parking garage. Drink plenty of water when you take these. Now you can relax and return to your job. Free your mind too. A conference on consciousness, mind control, and the occult. April 25th through 27th in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. World-renowned whistleblowers gather together to shed light on our world's problems and bring forward empowering solutions. Three days, 24 speakers, your mind set free. Free your mind too. April 25th through 27th in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. For speaker and ticket information, visit FreeYourMindConference.com. Male testosterone is at an all-time low. Erectile dysfunction, loss of libido, poor stamina, and increased body fat. Just a few psychologically devastating effects of low T. Has there ever been a time in the history of history men have been bombarded with so much estrogen and artificial hormones? Introducing the Ultimate Test Formula, a scientific breakthrough in hormonogenic technology. The Ultimate Test Formula comes loaded with the most advanced ingredients to virtually restore optimum testosterone homeopathically without the side effects of almost all synthetic solutions on the market. See my video and learn more at theultimatetestformula.com. That's the ultimate test formula.com low test is dangerous so are most of the solutions visit the ultimate test formula.com today and restore your drive but there's a reason there's a reason there's a reason for this there's a reason education sucks and it's the same reason that it will never ever ever be fixed it's never going to get any better don't look for it be happy with what you got because the owners of this country don't want that. I'm talking about the real owners now. The real owners, the big wealthy business interests that control things and make all the important decisions. Forget the politicians. The politicians are put there to give you the idea that you have freedom of choice. You don't. You have no choice. You have owners. They own you. 
They own everything. They own all the important land. They own and control the corporations. They've long since bought and paid for the Senate, the Congress, the state houses, the city halls. They've got the judges in their back pockets. And they own all the big media companies, so they control just about all of the news and information you get to hear. They, they spend billions of dollars every year lobbying, lobbying to get what they want. Has your heart been pounding? Feel short of breath? Got high blood pressure or problems sleeping? Heart disease is a leading cause of death. Being surrounded by fast food, toxic air, and poisoned water has a cumulative effect as we enter later life. Medications that only address symptoms ensure these problems persist while your family and finances suffer. It's time to work with the body and its own innate ability to heal itself. Heart and Body Extract is a natural, organic herbal supplement that restores balance. A heart attack could be just around the corner. Spare your loved ones pain and fear. Protect yourself. Protect your health with Heart and Body Extract. With a lifetime money-back guarantee, you have no excuse. Order a two-month supply today. Call toll-free 866-295-5305. That's 866-295-5305. Or order online at hbextract.com. No rules. No rules. No taboo topics. No taboo topics. No fear of doom. No fear of doom. We are. We are. American Freedom Radio. American Freedom Radio. Ow! <laughs> 